Excellent. I think I was hoping for more kind of friends and family crowd. The fact that we are in here in large numbers tells me how big the problem we are all facing. So that's good. <laughs> I'm not alone there. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Pearson, but I think some of the lessons and you know challenges we experience are the challenges that many other big companies experience, no matter what the industry is. So we are seeing a lot of urgency in the enterprise space. Uh, our competitors have changed. They are big technology companies. They are also startups. The investment in ad tech space has been phenomenal over the last five years. And what's really what these companies are doing, they're setting the standards when it comes to user experience. They are doing things at speed that you know some big companies like Pearson cannot compete with. They're also growing at unparalleled rates. So we've done a study of the top 50 fastest growers, growing ad tech um, startups in US, and they were growing at 300% year on year. So obviously, you know, big enterprises like Pearson cannot compete with that. Um, failure is the most likely outcome. <laughs> when you look at what's happening in the industry, 10% of projects succeed in IT, 10% of startups succeed, 10% of you know, investments that we put money in succeed. So if we approach things with this mindset, then we definitely change the way we manage risk in, in, in the enterprise. So let me talk a little bit about some of the challenges Pearson experienced, and you know, again, I'm sure they'll be familiar to you. To you. Um, Pearson is a huge company, 40,000 employees, uh, has been around 470 years, uh, exists in 80 countries, and has a really big portfolio of products. Portfolio that's been unbalanced with lots of duplication, lots of investment in similar things, but we also haven't approached it as a portfolio of products and we haven't made strategic decisions thinking about the portfolio so far. There is you know, also transition from print to digital, you know, struggling with uh, traditional publishing mindset, trying to move to digital but not changing the, the business models. We've placed some really big bets, some very public bets that have failed and you know, when you struggle with annual planning process, which I'm sure you all have experienced, and have big budgets and big bets, and all of that coupled with complex systems and bureaucracy and hard decision making, then things become very, very complicated. And if you are lucky to involve customer, it's usually too late when product is already in the market, and this is the first time you're getting some feedback. So we have approached our transformation program with these five pillars in mind. We decided to uh, adopt the portfolio approach. What, that, what do I mean by that? We look at our strategy and we articulate that strategy as something that we can measure and we then make portfolio assumptions based on that. We define the portfolio hypothesis that can be measured, that we can use KPIs to measure. We then introduce the lean product life cycle, so consistent way of managing all products in our portfolio using lean startup and agile practices, but also you know, management practices that have been around and that work. What that gives us is consistent way of managing all the products that we can compare on a like by like basis and then go back to our original portfolio hypothesis to determine whether products are succeeding or not and whether we need to reevaluate the investment or move funds around. 
All of that is coupled with investment governance. So we had to abandon the traditional business case process and move to incremental funding to support a more lean and agile approach. None of that would work without best practice, without changing behaviors, without adopting the attitude of failing fast and learning fast, continuous learning, and without huge organizational cultural changes that can support all of this. So to talk a little bit about our journey, we started in 2014. I was lucky to work for a chief product officer and to be given a team and a budget to run this transformation program. We encountered a number of challenges, as you can imagine, and we are now in year three, finishing year three of this transformation journey with lots more work ahead of us. You know, some of the main things that we had to address early on really starting with community building, with culture, with education, adopting the same language, defining what we mean by products, you know, product taxonomy, in order to be able to implement the product lifecycle, uh, a lot of training, mapping the portfolio to the product lifecycle stages, uh, launching the product lifecycle coach program, which is our way of scaling the adoption across the business, uh, incremental funding with finance that I mentioned, so a lot of work and a lot of complexities on, on this journey. Let me speak a little bit of some of the aspects. So disruption really starts within. As I said, I was lucky to have an amazing team and to bring some of the external people to the team who have done this elsewhere. And we have learned a lot from other companies and other examples, but you really need to drive this. People associate with the team, with a message, uh, you can plug in external people, but someone needs to be face of the program internally. That always helps a lot. And you need to spread the message and learning across the company. That global community is really, really important. So we started by working with evangelists, with people who were early adopters of this work, and really people who wanted to work in different ways and who are susceptible to this. We've done a lot of agile training initially, then lean startup training. And what was really important for us from the start is to build external relationships as well. So a lot of work with other companies, with communities of best practice, with meetup groups, conferences. Community started with probably 1,000 people in the first year and grew to almost 3,000 people now. And we have sponsored every single possible event that you can imagine, brought external speakers, experts from the industry to come and speak. It's one thing when you are telling your executives that things should work in a certain way, when you bring someone who has done it elsewhere and who can speak about their experience that always adds extra credibility. Because we are so distributed in 80 countries, building this community was also really important because people always know where they can go to events, how to get in touch, with people who have done this as well and can provide support. Product development practices, this whole notion of cross-functional team, it really goes beyond product development. These are all the skills, and you know, I'm probably missing some people that also need to be involved in product development process and need to be trained. So it's not enough just to train your product team. You need to train sales and marketing people who are talking to customers every day. You need to train finance in order to change the processes in the organization, HR, legal, you name it. But you also need to work very closely to customers. The first time we uh, 
organize the co-development with a customer in one of the schools in England, teachers were blown away. They came to us and said, this is the first time someone asked us you know, about our opinion and first time we were able to provide feedback early on and talk about what our needs and problems are. So this is really, really important. This was our product portfolio. So if you think about portfolio and about you know, the three horizons, we've done the mapping of the six pro 600 products in at Pearson and not surprisingly, all of them or most of them were in core, very few in adjacent and almost nothing in transformational. We also then mapped the products to the life cycle stages and no matter what, which horizon the product was in, all of the products were on what I call the right side of the life cycle and introduce it in a few minutes. So very few products that were really pushing the boundaries, trying to innovate, you know, very little investment in, in innovation. And obviously, when you start to talk in these terms, executives become interested. You can build a strong community of supporters across the business, you know, product people who want to work differently. When you start to talk to your executives about what the portfolio looks like, and that that's the reason there is no growth in the company in the last five years, all of a sudden you get more traction and they start to pay attention. So what is the lean product life cycle? So this is the framework we introduced um, two years ago, we went through 11 iterations, and the purpose of the framework was to enable Pearson to grow globally by investing in right products, so giving us a consistent data so we can compare products on a like-by-like -like basis to determine whether the products are gonna succeed or not, or if we think they're not to rebalance the portfolio. But even more importantly, through embedding the right behaviors and culture and practices into the life cycle, we are able to drive the cultural change in the business to ensure that we are more nimble, more innovative, and attractive of best talent. People wanna work in a different way. They wanna be part of the movement. They wanna do things and delight customers. Obviously, you know, best practice is not enough. We had to change the way we fund. So we introduced through the life cycle the stage gate process. So if you think about the first three stages, so idea, explore, validate, where we are validating the need, we are validating the business model, we are validating the product market fit. And when you think about what I said at the beginning, that most of initiatives fail, and the failure is something that we should assume, we wanted to have a consistent and scalable way of evaluating all ideas in the business, to open the funnel, to go through as many ideas as possible, but to have a consistent way and consistent criteria for evaluating them. We also didn't wanna kill early stage ideas and innovation, so there is the distinction between how we are evaluating investment on the left side, so through the first three stages, while we are still searching for a business model or product market fit, versus how we executing on existing business models or products that are already in the market, where you can still implement a lot of lean startup principles and agile principles and behaviors, but you have a different set of data, you have a different set of KPIs, you know what the PNL looks like, you have customer numbers. So the KPI, the data, the criteria is different from stage to stage, and that gives us ability to evaluate all the ideas at one stage in a consistent way. To help that, we had to abandon the business case completely as a you know, upfront piece of fiction that people come up with to justify the investment. 
And you know, it was a hard work convincing finance and we had to adopt a different language and talk a lot about risk reduction. This is something they understood. And when you mention, you know, remember that product where we invested 150 million and then it failed a year later when it went to market and they were like, oh yeah, and this is what we're trying to avoid. Great, let's change how we work. So we came up with hypothesis, which is something we are testing at the moment. So to move from idea to explore, you cannot get more than 50,000 pounds of investment. To move from explore to validate, you cannot spend more than 250,000 pounds. At the end of validate, you're supposed to have a validated business model. You're supposed to have you know, a paying customer and some assurance that those components of the you know, old fashioned business case have been actually validated with some real data. So this is something we are rolling out across the business and all product investment, no matter whether you know, it's horizon one, two or three, go through this stage gate process. To support that, we had to change how we make decisions. So moving away from you know, our executive team is gonna make all the decisions to um, product team are gonna move, the, you know, make some decisions but then finance are gonna block. We introduced product councils, which are our idea of investment boards. They're embedded in the organization. We introduced the centralized decision-making. They're small and cross-functional, so they have representatives from product, finance, strategy, technology, efficacy, which is a big thing for Pearson. And they meet together regularly and make all the investment decisions using the product lifecycle criteria we have developed. Some of the core artifacts that we have introduced is product teams obviously practice all the good behaviors that are embedded in the product lifecycle stages, but they're also supposed to present some evidence to product councils to ensure investment. And as I said, that criteria varies from stage to stage. They use templates to present that evidence. Then, you know, we have pitch decks that we use so you can present in three minutes and not go through all the data. But even more importantly, those templates and pitch decks are matched with scorecards so that product councils can use to make decisions in a different way based on their data. And then we also introduce a product lifecycle playbook, which is for people who want to know more and have more information on how to do this. And we have a copy that we can share. And we are also publishing that copy externally early next year with more examples of how we run this process. None of this will be possible without a really comprehensive training program. You know, we started with introduction training to the product lifecycle to Lean Startup. We had master courses on how to talk to customers, how to uh, run business model canvas sessions, etc. But then we realized that, you know, our team was so small and to scale this across the business, we really needed to uh, not only empower, but train a lot of people in the organization on how to do this. So we introduced the Product Lifecycle Coach Program last year, and we have so far trained around 150 people. They're embedded in the organization in all the business units. They're working closely with product teams. They're supporting the product councils, and they're really our ambassadors and evangelists. It was really important to train the leadership as well. So it's not enough just to introduce the process, to talk about portfolio strategy, you really need to train people on how to make decisions differently. So a lot of leadership training, product council training, support 
So people from my team would sit on councils for the first five to six sessions to really challenge the questions and ensure that people don't revert back to you know, old way of working. Uh, we have recently also introduced the accelerated adoption program because we are so uh, distributed and to ensure that people in all the regions can get help from our team, we go and run two to three days accelerated program where we really set up the council, train everyone, and support them then remotely. To do this at scale, we also had to think about all the systems and tools that needed to change in the business. You know, when you talk about data, data is all over the place, doesn't exist, it doesn't exist at the right level. So we had to introduce PlanU as a product portfolio tool. Uh, it has all the stage gate criteria, it captures all the data that we need, tells us then all about the product trends that we need to make decisions has all the historic records of decisions that have been made by various product councils. So over time, we can run portfolio reports and we can go back and reevaluate our portfolio hypothesis and see are we delivering on what we said we are gonna do or do we need to change our strategy or portfolio allocations. We are doing a lot of work at the moment to also integrate with existing you know, oracles of this world, CRMs, et cetera, so that we can have one record, true record of data. I forgot to mention, but we now have 13 product councils set up. So all major parts of the business have a council that's been set up, portfolio mapped, and they're using Lifecycle for all investment decisions. So some of the key lessons. Um, you cannot do this without leadership support, obviously. It's not enough, you know, I, as I said, I was lucky to be part of a chief product office and to be in a very senior role and been to many executive meetings when they nod and say, yes, absolutely, they endorse it, and then they leave the meeting and forget to tell anyone that they've endorsed it. <laughs> and I think you've all experienced that. So constant education, uh, using good KPIs to show impact. People like dashboards, they wanna see how much impact we are making and how we are changing things in the organization. Don't underestimate the power of denial. It's unbelievable, right? You know. You can hear executives talk about how amazing things were four years ago, and only if we can go back four years ago, right? You hear executives talk about digital not happening. So no matter what the share price is, denial is still strong. Finance, to do something like this at scale in the big enterprise, you need to change the way you finance. You need to change and move to incremental funding models. You need to change your annual plan so you're more responsive as organization. That's really cr crucial. And data is king, so if you have good data, if you can show how products are doing, that overpowers all the hyper facts in the room and my opinion or corridor conversations. You need a small core team that's driving transformation, but you need to use community, internal and external, and coaching programs to scale. You need to think big, but you need to start small. So we use the life cycle for the our transformation program as well. So we worked with early adopters to validate all the thinking before we decided to scale across the whole organization. You need to learn the language. You cannot go to your executive team and talk about lean startup or agile for that matter. But if you can connect it to business outcomes, if you can tell them how this is gonna in, you know, increase revenue or profitability, you get the attention. Um, the scale of the effort is phenomenal. You know, as I said, we're in year three and there is so much more work we need to do to change the enterprise. It takes years and you, know, you need to keep people engaged and it's hard times some, 
you know, hard effort sometimes. Eating your own dog food, so as I said, practicing all the behaviors yourself, working with early adopters to validate everything, all the good stories that you can share, really important. Strong communities, I already spoke about this, but I can't overemphasize how important it is that we are all in the same room, that we are all talking about this. This strong community that we are seeing emerge is really important. It's really helped me stay sane, you know, hiring amazing people from Lean Startup Company or or people who have done it at Fastworks or in other places, it's really, really important. Um, you need to invest in people, you need to train the people, you need to start to work with HR to reward and incentivize the right behaviors. When you start to talk about failure and failing fast, it's really scary for people, right? Because they associate failing with losing their job. You know, we were in many workshops where people would say, can we talk about learning fast instead of failing fast? You know, it's a small thing, but makes a huge difference. And it's a movement. I think we've seen that with Lean Startup Company. I think I've seen that at Pearson. People want to be part of something new, something exciting. And if you find the right way to engage them, they're really great and really supportive. So I'm going to stop here and open for questions. Yep. So while I'm getting up. Thank you, Sonia. So we're going to take questions. Um, you want it. So you don't want to go to Slido and put it in there, right? We'll take, uh, we will be taking questions on Slido, but the young man who's uh, very courageous here, go ahead and ask your question. So we asked for volunteers initially, but we also required two things, that they have support of their managers because it requires time and dedication, and that they have a product team identified that is willing to work with them. So those were some of the requirements we used initially. Um, so while you're still thinking about the questions to ask, um, you mentioned bringing finance part partners along yeah. and kind of getting them early on board. Could you speak a little bit about how you navigated or how you, you know, what was some of the, the texture of the conversations you had with uh, some of your finance partners? Was it as easy as you said it was? Was it harder? No, it was very hard. It took a year. Mm -hmm. You know, first conversation, they blew me off and said, this is never going to happen. You know, we already have a process. We know how this works. Risk, all the, you know, usual things. Then you start to introduce them to some of the, different types of behaviors and practices. You invite them to some training sessions, you find supporters, and I was lucky to find few that understood this intuitively or have done it elsewhere. And then you start to you know, show the change. We also had a new CFO mm -hmm. who was very susceptible to this and really on board. So I think that helped. And as I said, you know, if you can show few public failures and talk about risk and change the language, then that helps the conversation a lot. So it sounds like you weren't reluctant to have a candid conversation if necessary, and if it, even if it meant opening up some of those failures and being transparent about Yeah, this. absolutely. At the end, they were so supportive that they were working with us to change all the templates, to you know, move to incremental funding, to come up with a hypothesis around how much funds we want to invest. They're now using this to think about annual budgeting and how they change the annual budgeting process so they're more responsive to change. You know, we were in a situation where a new opportunity emerges during the year and because all the budget is allocated, we cannot react. Right. Or, you know, our project fails and we had a huge revenue projections and there is nothing we can do apart from kill travel for everyone in the company come September. I mean, this is not 
our portfolio, active portfolio management that you know I was talking about that we wanted to introduce. So you actually got budget outside the budget like planning process? Is that what you... No, we are trying to change the annual budgeting ah, process so it's more incremental mm -hmm. and aligned to this process so that we can react and evaluate on a quarterly basis. Are we hitting our targets, but in terms of the portfolio or not? Okay, sounds good. Any other questions from the audience? <laughs> All right, we'll keep going. Um, so let me look at your back, Sonia. Let me see if there's any scars. It seems like there's a lot. Um, it, when it's on a pretty PowerPoint, it seems like it's, you know, it was just easy to get to A to Z. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about um, how difficult, um, what was, <clears throat> how does this compare to your other years in management? Is it the same? You know, any time, any time that you had, like you felt very discouraged or any time that you had um, moments where you felt very inspired? I, I was never in a role where I felt as inspired as with this one because the, just the size of the challenge was enormous. And I think we've managed to achieve so much and I had such an amazing team and such a great response in the community internally and externally that that helped me work 16 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I have recently left a few weeks ago to um, set up something on my own and to try and bring this to other companies and to also invest more time in the community because I think, as I said, we are all struggling with the same things and if we can help each other navigate this space, then I think we have a chance. So you were not only inspired after that hard work, you, you thought it's it, um, good enough to go and set up on your own. Like that's <laughs> something, right? That's uh, definitely courageous. Did I see a hand? Okay. So how long will the transformation program typically take? Well, as a, so let me repeat that question just in case those who can't hear it. Um, he asked, how long does it typically transformation take in a large organization? I don't think it ever ends. I think we heard a couple of speakers yesterday talk about continuous transformation, continuous learning. So we are in year, or Pearson is now in year three, and I think they're gonna go on for a couple of years more until this is so embedded in ways of working that you don't need a team anymore. I think that that was something that I made it kind of publicly known to anyone Pearson from start. I don't wanna do this forever. This has to become way of how we run the business. Right? But I think you always need to continue to learn and evaluate how you operate as a business. You know, the world around us is changing at such a rapid speed that you have to continually continue to change. Otherwise, you're not going to survive this. Your work never seems to get done, does it, really? No. It's like no, I mean, when you look no at, you know, the Fortune 500 list, the average time on that list now is 16 years. No one is safe anymore. We talk about Kodak, but that's not, you know, the only right. example, so. Right. Um, so there's various uh, lean practitioners who are from the enterprise community. Some are well-versed, some are just beginning. So I'm gonna take those two personas and ask you, how would you counsel the one who's just beginning and how would you counsel the one who's more mature? Um, for the ones that are just beginning, I would say, you know, join the community and build that community internally because you're going to need all the help you can get. And, you know, learn from people who have done it elsewhere because there are so many war stories and lessons and there is no reason to repeat them, you know, mistakes that we have all made in our organizations. I think, you know, don't underestimate the size of the effort and all the challenges you're going to encounter on a daily basis. You know, change is hard. It's hard for organization. It's hard for people in the organization. For more mature practitioners, again, community, I think, is key. 
But if you haven't tackled the finance issue, I would strongly suggest you do because this cannot survive just on the best practice and you know, working with product teams or speaking to customers and experimenting. You really need to change how the organization operates and you need to look in finance, you need to look into incentives and high reward behaviors. Yeah, it's a complex problem to change. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I see a hand up. Uh, I think it's a really important one to change, but Pearson is still in really early stages of that. Yeah, the question was tying to, uh, is there any incentives that have been tied along to the adoption of Lean Startup in Pearson? Um, Some, a lot of work on the values that we need to embed in the company, but not enough on incentives yet. And, and, and some of the incentives, I mean, they could vary, right? So perhaps, do you have like consumer-centric incentives, like MPST, or, you know, I know that we applied that in our company, um, and we did consumer outcomes as a way for us to accelerate the... Uh, we don't have that, but we have the learner outcomes, so how well okay. our learners are doing with our products. That's part of uh, the performance reviews. Okay. Um, but you see it's key yeah. to the next level. Absolutely. <coughs> Go ahead, sir. No, it's an external, it's a third party. It's a more of a project portfolio tool than, than product portfolio tool, so we had to do a lot of work to customize it to our needs. But in, it does integrate with all the systems that you can imagine, so for us it was key to scale this process across the organization to have a tool so we can run all the portfolio reporting. That's right. Um, go ahead. Do you want me to just repeat that question for those yeah. in the back? So she was asking about long um, product development science cycles and procurement cycles. And, and how does that affect or impair your ability to iterate? Well, you know, we sign big deals and big contracts and that get reevaluated every five years. But within those cycles, we still need to produce products, get them to market, you know, add new features to existing products. So. From that perspective, it was easy to implement a process like that and ensure that for everything new we are adding, that we are talking to customers, that we are experimenting, that we are evaluating investment in the right way. Yeah. I think there is still work to be done with our you know, partners on how do we do the contracts going forward, how do we ensure that we include customers and even more importantly users because there is a big distinction between someone signing the check and someone actually using the product and the, you know, the users are rarely involved in that process and may end up with a product they don't want or cannot use. So I think there is more to be done sure. to address that. Um, uh, go ahead, I'll, I'll take one more question. What's your KPIs to show what is your So, um, Initially, we looked at you know, the adoption numbers, so how many people, how many products we have mapped. Then we started to look at how much uh, investment we are moving around, so how many dollars have we saved by retiring products so we can reinvest, how many dollars we are investing in innovation, so things like that. Yeah, I think it's always important to have on tracker, right, your ability to see what your internal investment is. Yeah. Um, and figure out, right, if, you, if it's not a tangible, um, obvious, um, known uh, ROI that you figure out a proxy for that so you could so yeah. show impact. 
It's always hard because you are at the same time adopting a new ways of working yeah. and until people adopt it, it's really hard to show impact. But then, you know, unless you show impact, executives are going to get bored of the whole thing and say, well, this is not really working for us. So you kind of have to do both. Yeah. We are now playing even with kind of NPS score and customer satisfaction and also employee satisfaction. So people who are engaged with this program and already using the life cycle, what's their satisfaction with the company versus someone who is still not part of the program. You know, I was going to ask you about your product portfolio, right? So what was it goes into your portfolio and you had the different stages? Um, and so you have a known projects that you put in there or known products that you put in there in your portfolio. Were there any that came that were not from your team that were sort of... Nothing was from my team. So okay. my team was part of a chief product office, but we were not building products ourselves. So product teams are across the business in all business units. They build products. We were responsible for this transformation and working with them and training them on how to use this process and how to change their behaviors or how to set up councils but my team wasn't building anything. So the business prioritized those yes. projects and that made it successful to then go and execute Exactly, it. they need, needed to own this and make a portfolio hypothesis. So yep. we are gonna invest this amount in this type of products going forward and we're gonna open a funnel and we're gonna go through 100 ideas until we find three that we think are gonna succeed. That's a different way of thinking than saying, oh, we found this big idea and you know we're gonna give you 50 million <laughs> Sure, sure. So last question, five years from now, what do you anticipate and see uh, or envision for the Lean Startup community? Uh, I think this is going to be business as usual, hopefully. I think this is how we're going to teach at MBA schools and this is how the enterprises are going to operate. I think we are on the crisp of this becoming a mainstream, hopefully. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Sonia. We want to appreciate your time.